This is our first presentation for the weekend. We do have three. The sermon tomorrow is going to be on this same topic. It also is going to fit very nicely into the sermon series that I have been doing because we are talking about social strifes uh, this week. So that the title for this three-part series is Social Strife, How to Live Today Without Fear of Tomorrow. And specifically, this evening's message is titled Fracture and the Ties That Bind. So fracture and the ties that bind. That's tonight's message. So because we're talking about fractures, I have a question. How many of us have ever broken a bone? Or more than one bone? Or multiples of bones? Or know someone? Okay, so in other words, we can relate to the idea of a broken bone, except for me. I can only relate to it because my younger brother, I remember when he broke his arm, first day he rode a bike and on his birthday, and he tipped over, and he broke his forearm. And then I have heard stories of my dad and other family members, but I have not, thankfully, broken anything yet. And I say yet because a broken bone is fairly common. Uh, The average person has two broken bones in a lifetime. So if you have two, you are perfectly average. If you have one, you're a little better. If you have more than that, well, then you're just helping the rest of us that have zero. That's all you're doing. Um, Causes for fractures, though. One, we know that a fracture usually occurs when force is exerted to the bone when it is stronger than the bone itself. So a stronger force than the bone itself. And I, I tried to summarize the types of causes for fractures that I could find. And I have four. I'm sure there are more, but these are the four that I have for tonight. One would be a sudden severe trauma. Uh, You can think of a vehicle crash. You can think of a bike accident or falling down some stairs, a severe traumatic event that puts that, that significant amount of force onto your bones. You can think of, on the other end of the spectrum, something like a stress fracture. If you are a runner, oh my goodness, very nice. If you are a runner, then a stress fracture might be something that you have to consider because if you aren't managing your training and your rest and you're overdoing it or the pavement's too hard or whatever the case may be, your bones may just go, enough is enough and you get a hairline fracture as a result due to just ongoing stress. Then, of course, osteoporosis, a disease that that thins and weakens your bones, can lead to an increased risk or likelihood or an experience with fractures. So if you have osteoporosis, if you're at risk of osteoporosis, you want to keep that in mind because it breaks down the bone's ability to resist stress. And then the one thing that we can't avoid is age. As you age, your bones naturally get more brittle, which means you're much more susceptible for broken bones just as you age. Uh, It's just the way things go. So that's something else that I have to look forward to. And uh, who knows? Maybe I'll make it all the way through without one, but we will see. But when we're thinking of fractures and we're thinking of the bones and we're thinking of what to do with it, well, we have some steps that should be fairly familiar. Well, one, you want to identify the problem or you want to see the injury and and kind of what's there and how extensive it is, what other systems in the body does it uh, affect and interact with. Then you want to investigate possible causes because if you have a broken leg or a broken finger, and it was caused by a car accident, you also want to rule out osteoporosis. Maybe there's an underlying cause why your bone broke when perhaps someone else in a similar situation, theirs did not. What underlying causes uh, led to the injury? When you have injuries, especially if they're severe and especially if they're traumatic, it can lead to fear. There is a fear that you can face when you have fractures and things that break it apart. I I haven't experienced a broken bone, but I have been stung by wasps. That put a fear in me at my young age of seven or eight with my first sting, and it traumatized me well into my adulthood. Uh, I used to ask my wife to go clean out our shed or open up the shed because that's where the red wasps flew around. 
So, when you get injured, when you face uh, some sort of a fracture in your life, you can also face a fear. Well, then you have to ask the question, well, what next? What do you do with your injuries? What do you do about the underlying causes? And then what about the fear that's a result of those other two? You know, how do you actually face it and move forward? Well, because we're talking about strife in our society, this is, of course, our illustration. The injury, the broken bone, the fracture, the underlying causes. But we are going to talk about strife in our society. One, and just so we know, up front, this is not a comprehensive list. As I was preparing for tonight's presentation, what I looked at are what at least I consider three of the biggest, most divisive social strifes, if you will, in our society presently. Uh, some have been long-standing, some are a little bit more recent, but when I look at the social landscape, these three categories, to me, stand out, kind of above the rest, if you will. Uh, so we can always have more, but these are the three big ones. Our first one is racism and racial tension in our nation. Uh, in the history of the United States of America, if we're talking about social strife, if we're talking about an underlying cause, if we're talking about a history that society still talks about, still deals with to some extent, and still wonders what next, this is part of it. It has to be part of the conversation. Uh, it, it really has been around uh, and affected us for far too long. We know the history in the United States from our country's inception until the Civil War Slavery, largely based on race, was the reality of the land. Uh, we have to acknowledge that that was the reality of the land. I'm not saying that was a good reality, saying it was, and, and it was there. We also have to recognize that as the country was, uh, as our nation was founded, and even up to the Civil War, that was a very contentious subject. The original founders of our nation in their extra writings talked about how they were torn between the presence of slavery and the ideals for the nation. Clearly, it didn't perfectly get borne out, but they expressed and recognized the tension. Uh, we also need to recognize that it wasn't only uh, Europeans who held Africans as slaves. One of the first slave owners that's documented and registered in our nation was a slave himself before he was freed, and then he bought slaves. So this was a black man who bought black men and women as slaves. Just saying, that was the reality of the country. And he saw it as, this is the reality of the country. That's it. From the Civil War uh, to the 1960s, uh, we had a bloody battle that is fair to say was going against the Union until the Emancipation Proclamation was taken seriously. And that's documented in our history books. There is a major turning point once the Civil War was no longer being fought just to keep the nation together. It was being fought to free the slaves. Then the tides turned. A fantastic book I recommend is A Nation in God's Hands, written by Professor Judd Lake from Southern. He outlines a lot of that history and, and how really the Union was losing until we took slavery seriously. Once that became the motivation, then everything turned and it went in the other way. The Confederacy lost uh, at times when really they should have won. But from the Civil War until the 1960s, and again, this is all roughly, uh, we recognized all men were created equal, but that didn't mean equal rights. I think that's a fair, broad statement. Uh, we had segregation uh, written into law. People couldn't eat in the same places, drink from the same water fountains, ride on the same buses, get the same education, not even the same location, much less the same level of education. Uh, again, that was what happened in our nation, and it was the law. 
Uh, it was permitted, it was allowed. In the South, it seems that it was especially pervasive. Uh, when I talk about some of these issues still carrying into the present day, uh, I was born in Texas, don't remember it, raised in Arkansas, remember that. Our cities around that area, they were segregated cities. That's not because there was a law in place, but that's because it was, it was kind of ingrained in the culture. There were neighborhoods and whole cities that were 99% white, and if you drove south a little bit, 99% black. And they just stuck to themselves. Uh, and if you were of the other race going into one of those cities, you were prejudiced against. It, it just came with it. It was part of the culture that I grew up in, in Arkansas. And sadly to say, it was a very familiar culture to me uh, recently here nearby in, in a neighboring area. But that was the reality. All men were created equal, we said, but that didn't mean equal rights. Well, then you have the 1960s to present uh, with the Civil Rights Act and so on, where I would say, uh, apart from the Civil War, we have made some of the mo uh, more significant gains in terms of equality based on race from the 60s moving forward. Just as an idea of what was going on in 1852, Frederick Douglass had a wonderful speech about the 4th of July. He was invited to do this speech. Uh, if you notice the date, 1852 is pre-Civil War. So as a freed slave in the North being invited to speak on Independence Day, he had some strong words. And I believe those strong words give us a fine sense of what it was like then. Quote, What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty, an unholy license, your national greatness, swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless, your denunciation of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence, your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity are, to him, mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy. Very true. You can't have a place, a, a nation, uh, with that level of racism and slavery, that type of looking at your fellow human, and still seek the blessing of a holy God who created all people in His image. He goes on, There is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of the United States at this very hour. Later on in that same speech, he doesn't only talk negatively, but he holds to task the what was written in the independence, in the Declaration of Independence, what was written into our Bill of Rights, that's what we're expecting to see. That's how he progressed in his speech. He holds to task and he sees what is, but then he says, we can do better and it's right there. Why are we ignoring it? Uh, it was a good, uh, good statement, good perspective on what was there then. And then, of course, we have the famous I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King Jr. in 1963, where he also, picking up similar language, is speaking to where the United States should have been by the 1960s. Quote, five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But, 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean, of material prosperity. One hundred years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. 
progress, but not enough. Very true. Very true in the 1960s. It was a moving speech. The rest of it is fantastic. It was appropriate for that time because it spoke of a true condition, a true history in our nation. Certainly a cause for strife. But then, even more recently, we have the summer of 2020, where if you can remember any of the news images of the cities burning and the people protesting and and the rocks being thrown, etc., etc., it was, again, another demonstration of underlying strife and tension that, at least for that summer, hit a point. And that point erupted all across our nation, And we got to observe it firsthand. In other words, our first strife that we talk about has long history and recent history in our nation. Uh, I don't see any reason to think that it's perfectly healed. And we are this evening recognizing that it still causes strife today. People still get upset about it. And there are still injustices based on race and racism. It's real. And we should acknowledge that. Our next major topic for tonight is gender and sexuality. This is one that seems to have exploded in recent years. Our current administration and every leading politician, you go back as recent as 2008 and 2012, and everybody understood that marriage was a man and a woman, that men were men, women were women, nothing else was true. Yes, there were people who believed or felt other things. Yes, there were people with other lifestyles, and the ideal was we weren't cruel to them. But we all recognized what gender and sexuality actually was amongst humanity. What we see, oh, let me see, oh, that went blank. What we see today uh, is something different. What's causing the strife or coming out to the surface in terms of the gender sexuality strife issues began in the earliest parts of the feminist movement because it was there that the seeds that a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, or that in, hear me, all things, men and women, are exactly equal. All you got to do is look around and see that that's not true. They have whole books. Uh, what is it? Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I mean, that title alone tells you we recognize the differences. Every data point tells us this, but from those early seeds, it sowed It sowed the thought that would eventually lead to present-day strife. Because from those seeds, we then had the separation of gender and sex. It used to be that they went hand in hand. Well, now we have one is your genetics, and the other is how you present yourself to society. And if you don't present yourself to society in a way that aligns with your biology, well, then you are something different, and then you are something different, and then the list has expanded. I lost count about the different genders that are, quote, and I need to say, quote, recognized, because some of them, some of them you have to be rather imaginative to look at. Uh, Genders that are associated with edible foods like cake. Uh, Genders that are associated with spiritual beings like angels and demons. Uh, genders that line more up with animals in nature. Uh, So if you feel that you are that, and so on. It has caused strife because there really are a small number of people that push this idea very hard, and many others who still look around and go, no, I, I think we kind of are still men and women, and we just allow people to feel uh, across the spectrum. That doesn't really change your being. To go further than that, uh, what has caused even more significant strife is now it has gone from an idea 
to an idea that adults engaged in, to an idea that we kind of could okay and be fine with if it was in the privacy of your own home, to then it's out into the public, and now everyone has to agree with it. Each time it's progressed along those steps, those stages, it's met with pushback, and that inevitably leads to strife. Inevitably. Right now, the greatest areas of strife on this topic happen to be, have to deal with how children are being brought into the conversation. Uh, It does not take a lot of effort, not at all, to get online and find uh, full education curricula designed for kindergartners on up in these various options. Uh, You do not have to struggle very hard to find doctors that are willing to do irreversible surgeries and treatments on young boys and girls. By young, I mean eight and nine-year-olds. That's irreversible. That causes strife because at the same time, parents are saying, I think we have more of a right to raise our kids the way that we would like them to, and others are saying no. An example of this, just today I read, California is is entertaining a bill that would classify not affirming a child's gender identity by one or both parents as child abuse, which means that in that state, that gives the state permission to remove the child from the home forcefully under child abuse laws. If you just would rather raise your daughter as a girl and your son as a boy. That causes strife. It causes strife when a Christian Korean women-only spa is now being ordered by a court to admit uh, fully male clients who say that they're women. Uh, So now we're getting into not only the strife caused with the genders and the sexes, but knowing that this is also a Christian clinic, that starts to also push into a religious strife. And we're just recognizing these strives are there, and you can find them. Our third category, I promise I won't, I won't stay on this, but we have to acknowledge it, is the political strife in our country. Um, I'm I'm only as old as I am, and I can only remember as much as I can remember. But what I do know, what I have in my memory, uh, is today a lot more vitriol compared to 15 years ago. It, it It just seems that every conversation is only hate, and it's only fighting, and it's only... There were, in, there were multiple articles written during the 2020 season, which wore me out, but during the 2020 season of families completely separating and disowning one another purely on who did you vote for. That's strife. That's fracture. Uh, you now have some companies that will fire or cancel contracts with other companies based on political affiliation. We, again, we're not talking very long about this, but it's easy to see that there's very little in common in our political sphere today. Uh, Those that talk in in political circles, boy, there's not a lot in common. And it seems that as we go along, it's becoming increasingly polarized to farther and farther extremes. Each party or each position is taking a further edge and then digging their heels in even deeper, and there's not a lot of conversation on what could happen in the middle. And then you're never going to make anybody happy. Everyone's going to be mad at you. There are also attacks on what used to be, even in my short lifetime, uh, basic tenets of political understanding. So these are being threatened. Meaning that today, neither one of the two major political parties in recent years seem to recognize the results of our elections. You can find records of both parties calling the results of elections illegitimate. If we as a society can't even come to that basic agreement, 
is it fair to say that that causes strife and tension? I think that's fair to say. Because uh, no matter who wins, we lose, right? Um, it's, it's very easy, it's very recognizable to see that our political landscape is full of strife. We want to move on to possible causes because much like the broken bone, we have to ask, what caused it? If you just walked in to an ER and you said, I broke my finger, and they said, well, how did you break your finger? And you're like, ah, I don't know. They have to do more tests than otherwise. If you walked in and said, I broke my finger, how did you break your finger? Well, I slammed it in my car door. They can go right to, well, let's look for severe blunt trauma or something like that. I'm not a medical professional. I can assume that they might immediately rule out other options. So let's look at some possible causes for some of the strife that we see today. This should have gone in a different order. We're going to start at the top, and you'll forget that the other one is there. Systemic injustice. Uh, it is often promulgated, and you will read articles and hear speeches, and you can read very lengthy books that detail how ingrained in our system as a nation there are injustices at the core. Those injustices need to be rooted out, need to be adjusted or redefined or reassessed, and then the strife will calm down. But so long as we have systemic injustices, uh, systemic racism, systemic sexism, systemic fill-in-the-blank, uh, as long as those remain, then the strife will continue because what's built into the system causes the strife. That's one proposal. Another proposal is that there are and there have been attacks on traditional understandings and beliefs. The attack on marriage. I consider the redefinition of marriage to be an attack on a traditional belief and understanding. Throughout ancient uh, human records and history, it's only ever been marriage between a man and a woman. And most societies around the globe continue in that. It's really only in the most westernized cultures that you have differing definitions. I would say that attacks on traditional understandings and beliefs um, have to go with parental rights with their children. As I read from at least one article, and there are more, it used to be that the parents had a, a, high, uh, a recognized high level of authority in the upbringing of their children. That seems to be diminishing on purpose. More and more and more we have accounts of doctors and courts and the state intervening in areas that used to be perfectly reasonable. And they would say, no, you don't have any input in this. One clear example of that would be last, last year, the year before, and the year before, really since 2020, some of the conversations that have happened at school board meetings have really caught the attention of the news. As parents have learned about some of the curricula that's going on in the school, they've, at minimum, had questions and mostly have said, I don't want you teaching this to my children, and if so, then not at this age. Wait till they're older. That's how most of the objections have gone. But we also have some of the heads of our leading educational uh, institutions saying parents don't have that right anymore, that they need to uh, relegate it entirely over to the teachers and the educators. They're the professionals with the degrees, and so parents need to give up that opinion. That is certainly an attack on a traditional understanding and a belief, because it used to be all kids were homeschooled. All kids were taught by their parents, and all kids were going to be raised with the type of morals and upbringing that the parents wanted to pass on to the next generation. This would also be something that would be along uh, in the racial tension area, a, a difference. Uh, from the same I have a dream speech later on, Dr. King says, we know this, I have a dream 
that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's a great quote, and that's a great ideal. That's something that we should get behind. You don't look at the super, excuse me, you don't look at the superficial, but you look at their character. That should be the defining distinction. Today, though, we have this quote, Ibram X. Kendi, who is a, a, in many circles, he is well-respected, he is listened to, and he does influence. In his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, he has this, the defining question is whether the discrimination is creating equity or inequity. If discrimination is creating equity, then it is anti-racist. And since he wants you to be that, he's saying that's a good thing. He goes on. If discrimination is creating inequity, then it is racist. To summarize, he's saying that discrimination is good so long as it produces the results that we want. In a nutshell, that's what he means. Because he's desiring something particular, and if discrimination will bring that about, that's desired. That's very different than the the speeches of the 1960s, which led to the Civil Rights Act. That's very different than those that were in favor of emancipating the slaves back in the 1800s. It's very different. It used to be, let's get rid of discrimination wholesale, and let's start looking at everybody as equal created in the eyes of their maker. But now we have a different type of language. <clears throat> men and women. Uh, we've talked a little bit about how the traditional understanding of men and women has been, has been redefined, has uh, come under scrutiny, has really made it into the headlines. I never thought in my day that legislators would have to debate over making a law on what defines what we can simply observe with our own eyes. That, that would never have occurred to me. But they're finding themselves needing to do that uh, and being met with a great deal of resistance. The same thing with gender identities and how far that has gone. And then now you are not just simply what you are born as, uh, your sex is assigned to you at birth. Uh, they look at uh, the little baby in the birthing room and the doctor doesn't observe and state, the doctor now gives you one or the other options. And later on, you can choose for yourself if that's correct or not. Um, it's an assignment. I would say, though, that one of the more insidious causes of some of our strife that we've seen is the normalizing of sexualizing children and pedophilia. And by normalizing, I'm not speaking in hyperbole. Uh, they are trying to make an attraction to minors um, a recognized and ex socially acceptable form of attraction to the point where in California they did pass a law that downgraded the, the offense for pederasty, uh, which, which is the, the, the sexual abuse of a minor. Um, they passed a law that allowed that. Uh, this is all over the place. Right now, there are, there are many, 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 uh, I guess, court uh, decisions being debated over what is appropriate for, quote-unquote, family-friendly types of activities. Because some of these family-friendly activities are extremely mature. Extremely. Uh, the kind of things that you probably wouldn't even see on most R-rated movies at the theater. Um, but they are being advertised for children. Uh, the term groomer has taken up a new kind of usage, and it's taken a secondary meaning. Not that we're always grooming children for the purpose of abuse, but we're grooming them into an ideology that sets them up for a desired lifestyle. And that desired lifestyle would be, right now, what is causing the strife in our society. If you're wondering what the results are in terms of our youth generation, 
what historically has been in terms of uh, any, anyone who fit into the LGBTQ plus um, community. Historically, it was right around 1% to 3%. Uh, depends on where you're looking and who you're asking. Roughly 1% to 3%. That held true into uh, the silent generation and then into the boomers. It was a little bit more somewhere around 5%, and then you get into Gen X, and it gets a little bit more than that. We're creeping up around 8 or 9%. Then you go into millennials, and it jumps into the teens. And now Gen Z, it is right around 20 to 25% of a single generation uh, fits into this. Uh, that's causing strife. It causes problems in homes, in schools, from one state to another, from one community to another. Uh, it's causing fractures, and it doesn't seem to be leading to a healthy community. I think it's fair to recognize that. I would like to ask the question if it has ever felt fabricated to you. If some of the strife in our society has ever felt like it's being pushed so hard on you that it can't be organic or grassroots, that it's really being um, put together on purpose. Well, I'd like to offer a couple of suggestions. I'm not saying this is extensive, and I'm not saying we're all going to agree on it, but I am going to say maybe this, this should be looked at with, with some questioning eyes. One would be the COVID response. The reason why I have it in this category is because there has never been a time in history where every nation around the world together made the same agreement on what to do with their citizens about a disease. Uh, the only conclusion that I can come away from is that there was, at a minimum, cross-talk and everybody saying, let's get on the same page as, as one another. Um, we have some data to suggest that was true, uh, that they were communicating with one another, that they were um, pushing forth a common kind of narrative, a common kind of approach to what to do, how to do it, how to respond, etc. Um, and I'm just suggesting that maybe uh, this is one example of a fabricated or a manufactured form of tension because the response caused tension. It did. If we also look at summer of 2020, uh, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Um, we've had racial tension in our nation for a long time. We've talked about that. Never before has it gone coast to coast, resulting in more than $2.2 billion worth of damage, and many of those people responsible for it being purposefully let out of jail to go back and do it again. Uh, the records show very few have actually faced long punishments for breaking the many laws that they broke, and, they, and many of them did. Uh, there were some that were perfectly fine, they were perfectly peaceful, but then there were also some that earned the now infamous Chiron title, fiery, but mostly peaceful, where buildings are just burning down in the background. Um, I would suggest that for that period of nine months, there was a coordinated communication effort to rile it up bigger and inflame the flames a little bit higher. Uh, you can go back and you can see some of it. We now know through the exposure of the background communications at Twitter, uh, known as the Twitter files, we do know now that from government agencies to social media heads to legacy media individuals, you name it, they did coordinate with each other to get rid of speech, silence voices, ban people that didn't agree with everything. That was the, the popular discussion. We know all of that now. We know through the dumping of this information that financial institutions were on board with will close out their bank accounts for them so they can't get their money. We know that it was coordinated and they were 
rather jovial at times about who they would silence. You have to, you have to walk away with at least some suspicion that the strife caused by that uh, was fabricated, was egged on and encouraged. And then we have the World Economic Forum. Uh, not everybody knows about it, but you should. This is a rather small collection of some global elites. and uh, We're talking the highest and highest of the elites. Uh, founded and led by a man uh, by the name of Klaus Schwab uh, that get together on an annual basis. They've been doing this for some time. And amongst themselves, they discuss, what are we going to do with our countries? Where are we going to move the world at large? Uh, because these are representatives of nations and international companies and activist groups and so on. We have this one quote from just this past year. Klaus Schwab says, quote, We couldn't meet at a more challenging time. We are confronted with so many crises simultaneously. What does it need or what, what do we need to master the future? I think to have a platform where all stakeholders of global society are engaged. Governments, business, civil society, young generation, and I could go on, I think is the first step. So a group of elites do get together on an annual basis. They say that right now, with all the crises, with all the strife that we see going on simultaneously, is the opportunity to change how we want the world to look. Uh, that would be a fabricated and coordinated effort at adjusting things, and they see the strife and the crises as an opportunity. He has also openly talked uh, about controlling online speech through governments, uh, through strict governmental intervention. It's being put in place in countries right now, not only like China, but also Australia, New Zealand, uh, places in Europe, and so on. They are actively doing this. Um, if you don't agree, then you get kicked off or someone shows up at your door and you might face actual criminal uh, penalties uh, for saying the same, those kinds of things. This is one example, and this is, this is so you're not taking my word for it. There for a while, if you chose to not get the COVID vaccine, uh, you were treated as the worst of society. Um, I think that's the only way that I can interpret this. Uh, if Hopefully this will work, and this is, this is a sampling. We won't play the whole video, but this was just the language that was being used about those who chose to not get a particular form of medicine. Um, okay. These, uh, that's not that. that's these a civilized people, they'll eat each other. You are the unvaccinated. You are the problem. It is the unvaccinated who are the problem, period, end of story. The only people that you can blame, the only people you can blame, this isn't shaming, this is the truth, maybe they should be shamed, are the unvaccinated. It's time to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. Anyone you came into contact with will blame you as will the rest of us who have done the right thing by getting vaccinated. Because frankly, we know that we can't trust the unvaccinated. I think it's time to get our moral house in order, Anderson. It's the unvaccinated who are the threat. All the vaccinated folks are going to start wearing masks to protect the unvaccinated folks. It's called a Christian value. You're basically punishing the vaccinated uh, for the the sins of the unvaccinated. People are not behaving honorably. The unvaccinated are basically saying, well, it's open season for me. I can do whatever I want as well. The, the unvaccinated are basically beating their breasts, running around the country saying, ha ah, ha, we don't care. We're living. It goes on for another almost two and a half minutes from there. Um, we know now uh, things that we didn't know then. At a minimum, I'd like to recognize that the language being used causes and caused strife and tension. If you have a population of people that are publicly with, with viewerships of millions and millions and millions being told, you're the problem, you're immoral, you're unchristian, you're this, you're that, does that not 
lead to strife and tension. It would be appropriate, and it seems that it's a reasonable response for those in that group to go, now hold on a minute, I don't happen to think that I'm an evil person because I make this one medical decision. Uh, there were articles being written that suggested that the unvaccinated needed to be forcefully locked up in their homes, not to be allowed out for any reason. Uh, there were people, there were articles, there were news anchors that talked about how if a, an unvaccinated person went to a hospital and they were sick, uh, the doctors should just go, I'm so sorry, we won't help you. Uh, and they were championing that idea, desiring it to be policy. Uh, if we're talking about what can cause strife, um, ostracizing entire groups of people is going to cause strife and tension uh, when you lump everybody together. This is one more example, and then we're going to move on. This is an example when we talk about, um, when we talk about the popular narrative, uh, when we talk about how the reporters might be all in unison of, you know, in, in their messaging, uh, you don't have to just take it for the tinfoil hat wearer's words. Uh, we have, this is one example um, of what we're talking about. Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is to, to serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about the country and the responsible one-sided news stories plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media it goes on for almost another minute. That's one example, and if you paid attention to the symbols that were in the background, you would have seen in NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox, ostensibly different companies, all saying the same words. Uh, that's one example. In other words, uh, in other words, it is, it is a good practice to not always take everything exactly as it's being said to you, especially if the results have led to increased strife and tension. I want to share Possible Causes 2.0, something a little different. This is from a Wall Street Journal and NORC poll published March 28 of this year. Uh, these are changes in our nation compared to a Journal and NBC poll from 1998. So changes in our nation over the past 25 years, all right? Patriotism is very important. The respondents, it dropped from 70% to 38% in, in 25 years. Those who agreed that religion is very important dropped from 62 to 39%. That having children is very important dropped from 59 to 30%. That community involvement is very important, dropped from 47 to 27%. But that money is very important, rose from 31 to 43%. I would propose to you that what this is telling us is that as a nation, what we used to hold in common and saw as very important is no longer the case. And you can say that this is the result of the strife, or you can say that this change causes the strife. I happen to wonder, really, which one it is. Which, which, uh, which came first in this case? Which came before the cart? 
But we are pointing out that as Americans, what we hold as important, what we hold in common with one another, is becoming less and less and less. And when you hold less in common, what is there to help defend when tension comes up? When tension comes up, and, and we, have this in, we have this in my own family, this, this, will, this will be relatable. You get tension inside a family. You have disagreements with those that you love. Inside of the church, people disagree. We argue. We sometimes pout. We sometimes fight. We do all of those other things. But when you have an agreed-upon set of common values, that will hold you together even when you have disagreements. Inside of our marriage, inside of my family, we're committed to each other until death do us part. That's our commonly held value that nothing's going to separate us until one of us croaks. That means when we disagree, when we argue with each other, we're not going to leave each other because that value is more important. Inside of the church, when you have a disagreement and you have tension and you have arguing and fighting, but held in common is the fact that we are all disciples of Christ. In common, we are all looking to the same eternal salvation. In common, we recognize that we are all sinners and forgiven by the same God because we were all in the same mess and we all have the same reason for saying hallelujah. When we remember those common things, then when we disagree, we pray that it doesn't actually fracture us because those other values are more important. One final interesting response. What do you think happened when people were asked if tolerance for others is very important? And just so you know, this isn't over the span of 25 years, but four for this result. What do you think the result was? How many think it went down? How many think it went up? We believe tolerance for others went up. It went down. Those who agreed that tolerance for others is very important dropped in four years from 80% to 58%. When you have nearly half the nation saying it's not important to tolerate others, and you have a multiplicity of tension and strife and underlying causes, do we expect unity and fellowship and community? We do not and we cannot. That, right there, in my own opinion, is the most important answer, aside from one others. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. The result from all of this is the fear it brings. The fear that all of this tension and strife has brought can, can be lumped into a couple of categories. One, we have a fear for our safety. When people are fighting with each other, you don't feel safe around each other. You never know if you're going to get mugged or, or, or tripped or hit or you name it. Uh, there are sadly graphic videos of that being played out in many of our, of our major cities. Safety is a huge thing. Crime of every kind, but especially violent and drug-related crime, has skyrocketed since 2020. We're not talking incremental, we're talking exponential. It, this has caused mass movements out of major cities and states to other locales with lower crime rates. In other words, people are saying, I want to move someplace where I feel safe. If you know anything about the hierarchy of needs, safety's right up there. If you aren't feeling safe, you're not going to care about anything else that comes after that. Our strife has also caused a fear for the financial future. I read a recent stat that only 1% of Americans actually feel safe in their financial future. And something like, let me see, I have this, 41% of Americans are already preparing for a severe financial turndown. And just so you know, if you think we aren't already in one, we are. Uh, we, we've, we've met every metric uh, for the minimum stagnation. 
at minimum. Uh, so there is serious fear of financial future. A lot of the strife has led it to a future for our youth. I, for one, as a parent of two at home and one an adult and out, I do worry about the younger generation. When I hear about the divisive causes and then I see the crime and I see the hate and I see the finger pointing and so on, I know that it doesn't lead to good things in young people's minds. I know that it's not looking good for them. And in fact, Americans' confidence that life for their children's generation will be better than it has been for them. Another very recent poll. Americans that are confident that life for their kids is going to be better than them, those that felt confident in that, 21%. 21% of American adults feel confident that their kids are going to have a better life than they did. It should be the other way around, my friends. Each generation should be providing something a little better for the next one. But then what about eternity? Have you ever had a fear for what the eternal holds? Do you think beyond this earth and what we have here? Uh, are you worried that what we're going through is all that there is? Or do you consider something beyond yourself and the mortal? Well, how to deal? That's our final thing. We don't want to just, I mean, I could just say goodnight and we all could just go, oh my goodness, that's awful. How to deal? We'll run through this quickly. Well, much like broken bones, you heal them uh, you can heal strife in similar ways. One, we set the bones. For social strife, what that means is that like fractured bones need to be returned to their original healthy position, much of what's causing the strife needs to be returned back to its original healthy position. The traditional family structure needs to be championed and supported. Uh, we don't need to consider fractured, broken homes as the norm. We want to encourage unbroken homes as far as possible. We want uh, the acceptance of natural and observable realities to again be the observable and acceptable reality, not just simply based on the feelings or the whims of the day. We also would like to see tolerance and love for others returned to their previous rates. Just four years ago, we had an 80% agreement that tolerance for others was very important. We need to get back to that 80%. That's the original position that we should set these bones back to. We also could have surgery when you're dealing with a fracture. I describe surgery as a controlled injury to heal the underlying problem. You're causing some harm. You're cutting uh, oh man, I've seen videos of, of orthopedic surgeons going at it. They are not gentle. And people that have those procedures, I think they feel it afterwards. But surgery, sometimes it's necessary when typical methods are ineffective and, and injury or the injury is too great that you need something more invasive. You need something that might in the short term hurt a little, but it will help in the long term. In other words, the most toxic and divisive practices may need stronger confrontation. We need to stand up to the abuses that happen in our nation. And if someone is being mugged or threatened or, or belittled and ostracized, they need an advocate. They need a defender. Will it be easy? And can you step into the line of that fire and receive some bruises at minimum? Oh, yeah. It's not going to get fixed unless some are, will, are willing to do the surgery part of it. Prejudice and racism needs to be rejected in all its forms. Not allowed in some and, and not in others, but universally, prejudice needs to be rejected. We all need to be seen as children of God, and we all need to be valued because of that regardless of the color of our skin, the background of our homes, or what nation we were born into. Harmful and debased behaviors should no longer find a place in public society. We should take a more serious stance on this. There are extremely perverse behaviors that 
that occur in open public settings with people of all ages being encouraged to not only observe but participate in the perversity. Surround yourself with friends and family who share your positive values. Consider a close friend as an accountability partner, one that will hold you accountable if you fall into previous bad habits. If you're a source of some of the strife, pray that God lets you see that and try to mend that. But you don't have to do it alone. It's better with a support system. You also can consider joining institutions and attend events that foster unity, compassion, and hope. By their fruits you shall know them, the Bible says. If the fruits of an organization, if the fruits of an idea, if the fruits of of an event lead to increased strife, lead to increased hate, lead to harmful and, and, and hateful language and ostracization, Maybe reconsider. Join those that lead to the moral good than the alternative. Pain, though, is a part of the process. It's inevitable when you're dealing with injuries. Pain is a great communicator. It lets you know when something happens that shouldn't. Pain is also unavoidable. When you're dealing with hurt and strife that runs deep, and in, in, in a lot of what we've talked about, even generationally, it's not only understandable that there'd be pain, but it's expected. You don't always want to try to avoid the pain. Avoiding the pain often just lets things fester. If you are part of the cause, then sorrow for being a part of the cause and turn from it. Don't run away from the pain. Look at it and say, I don't want to keep causing it anymore. If you are on the receiving side of the pain, then forgive. Don't hold a grudge forever. Notice I didn't say forget, and I didn't say you have to be around the abusers. But God has asked us to forgive and to love, even when it's appropriate to distance from the harmful. But you have to recognize the pain that's there before you can do anything about it. And finally, healing takes time. Yes, it would be nice if healing uh, from injuries happened instantaneously or even overnight. However, the reality is that it takes more time than we would like. Uh, Most of these issues aren't going to happen by the end of this weekend or this month or this year. If we're going to fix this, There's a road ahead of us, and I'm even mentioning, even if there's something in our own lives, often it takes a process. Often you are walking with others, and you're walking with Jesus longer than you'd really like, but it takes time. Keep walking, in other words. Keep looking for the healing. It won't happen overnight, and then finally, don't pick at the wound. Once things are starting to heal, don't itch it again. There seems to be a lot of that as I observe uh, our fine communities. Seems that as soon as things are starting to kind of calm down a little bit, that people can't help themselves. They go, you know what? I need to pick at that. We're We're gonna rub it raw again and see what happens. Maybe it'll be better this time when we rub at it. It never it never is better when you when you keep itching that wound again. So don't pick at it. Let the healing take place and then thank God that healing is happening. So you want to set the bones. You want to to set our things back in order. Surgery may be needed. We want to have a brace, a support system in place. Pain is, is inevitable. Sometimes we'll go through it to be better on the end. Healing takes time. We remember that. But Here's what we're going to lead into for tomorrow, a quote by a man named Cardinal Manning. He's a cardinal in the Catholic Church, but this is a great line, and it seems to be biblical. All human conflict is ultimately theological. As we've gotten farther and farther away from recognizing a creator, as we've gotten farther away from using uh, objective morals as our guide, We've just fallen farther into the pit of strife and sin and debauchery. And to only think that we can confront that 
without confronting the theological implications is only looking at it one-dimensionally. Because ultimately, we are all engaged in a theological conflict, and it just happens to bear fruit with conflict with one another. So tomorrow, we will continue our our consideration of social strife, how to live today without fear of tomorrow. At 11 o'clock, it's titled Common Crisis, Common Cure. And because we ended with a theological idea, I'm a theologian, you can expect a more theological approach to this. Common crisis, common cure, and then tomorrow afternoon at 1.30, we're in this together is the part of it. Because if we're looking at strife and we want to get from strife to something, then we want to get back to community, togetherness. So Saturday afternoon at 1.30, where we'll look at we're in this Together, I want to thank you all for being here tonight, for listening. If you happen to be listening uh, at another time, uh, if you will indulge me in a word of prayer, we will conclude. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, and we thank you that even with all of the strife around us, uh, you are stable and constant and consistent. I pray that you would let us be truthful with ourselves and with others as we consider some of the problems that we see and we experience. But I also would pray that according to your will and your wisdom, you would lead us into something much better than we can ourselves. Lord, we pray all of these things. May we be safe tonight. Bring us back together tomorrow, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.